On this episode of Pathways to Wellbeing, our guest, Dr. Walter Longo, will discuss the research and mechanisms behind the fasting mimicking diet and how fasting interventions impact disease risk factors and aging. And I really believe, uh, I'm very confident that, uh, you know, when, if you're looking at diabetes, pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome, um, and, um, and also prevention of cardiovascular disease, um, this is the way to go. I mean, this should be in the toolkit of every physician. Dr. Walter Longo is a professor of gerontology and biological sciences and director of the Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California, one of the leading centers for research on age-related disease. He is also the director of the Longevity and Cancer Program at the IFOM Institute of Molecular Oncology in Milan, Italy. His studies focus on the fundamental mechanisms of aging, and he has received numerous awards for his work, including his research on the fasting mimicking diet. In 2018, Time Magazine named Dr. Longo one of the 50 most influential people in healthcare. At IFM's 2021 Annual International Conference, Dr. Longo will talk about the genes that regulate aging and will share new insights on fasting strategies as a means to treat and prevent disease. There are several approaches to fasting, which allows the opportunity for clinicians to find the most appropriate therapeutic application for each individual patient. Intermittent fasting strategies such as periodic fasting, uh, fasting mimicking diets, these have a huge range of potential health benefits and may improve physical and mental health through multiple pathways, from triggering autophagy to enhancing mitochondrial health. Today, we'll explore the relationship between fasting and aging, as well as discuss how fasting strategies potentially aid in the treatment and prevention of chronic disease while optimizing overall health and longevity. It is my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Longo to the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, thank you. We know that fasting treatments can have a profound positive health effect. There are several different fasting strategies that we can use as clinicians. I think many of our audience members are familiar with the fasting mimicking diet, but I'd love to hear uh, from you what is the fasting mimicking diet and how is it different from other fasting strategies? Yes, so the, the fasting mimicking diet, uh, going back a long, long time, you know, when in, in the days where I was working with Roy Walford, and Roy was the pioneer of something called calorie restriction. And calorie restriction is, is something that the aging field has been using uh, for 100 years to, to slow down aging. And, uh, um, and so the, the problem with calorie restriction was that it's chronic in nature and it causes uh, major weight loss. And, and the, um, the male, for example, uh, that are, would be on calorie restriction, they will have a, a very low body mass index, so a very low, extremely low weight. And, and probably with that, lots of problems. And so then the idea first was not, not the fasting mimicking diet per se, but uh, is it possible that you could just intervene for a few days a month, let's say five days a month, and you get the benefit of these long chronic uh, diets, uh, uh, including calorie restriction? Um, so that was the original idea. And then uh, the first use that we did for that was for cancer. But then we realized that patients, when we did the first clinical trial on cancer over 10 years ago at the Norris Cancer Center at USC, uh, we realized that most of the patients did not want to do water-only fasting. 
And so this was four days of uh, three days of, of uh, water only fasting together with uh, with chemotherapy, and um, and the oncologist did not want them to fast, right? So uh, so then uh, we we asked the government, the National Cancer Institute initially, and then the National Institute on Aging. Uh, to fund research uh, to develop fasting mimicking diets. So the idea was uh, eat as much as possible without, uh, while getting the same benefits of what only fasting causes. And we were looking at certain markers that, um, that will uh, serve as sensors of fasting, including, uh, including IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, um, IGF-PP-1, glucose, and ketone bodies. So we, we, we were looking at those four uh, and then we identified a, a um, you know, high fat, uh, uh, low sugar, low protein, uh, uh, nutritional uh, program that uh, mimics fasting called the fasting mimicking diet. I love uh, in your book, The Longevity Diet, you talk about the sustainability of a fasting mimicking diet. Uh, it's more well tolerated because there are carbohydrates included. And you talk about how most of the cultures of the world have some carbohydrate as part of their traditional food plan. And this continues to honor that pattern. Yes, uh, in, uh, um, in selecting the, um, the con content of the fasting mimicking diet, uh, we were worried about compliance, so we, we knew that if eventually people did not like it, um, it would just go away. Uh, but we were also worried about safety, So and, and unfortunately, lots of other people are not doing that. So the, the question is, let's say that you have a, a, a zero-carbohydrate diet, and, and you go back and forth between high-carb and, and zero-carb or very low-carb. What, what happens to the, to the body, right? And, and we don't know, right? So it could be that after you do this a thousand times, you start having problems. Um, and so this is why we wanted to, uh, to have enough carbohydrate in there to, to still get this increase in ketone bodies, the decrease in, in fasting glucose, but not risk this yo-yo uh, between uh, very low carb, very high carb, you know, which the brain and, 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 and every other uh, system in, in the body uh, may be affected by both negatively and positively, right? So, so I think it's, uh, um, yeah, it's a combination of, of looking for compliance, efficacy, uh, but also safety. Sure. So just to summarize, for those who might be listening, the plan is typically a five-day program. And what I remember from your book uh, is you recommend doing this twice yearly. Is that correct? Uh, well, we no, we we I recommend do this uh, twice yearly for somebody that is very very healthy. So okay. probably, mm -hmm. you know, ten percent of the U.S. population. Uh, then I think it's up to the doctor, the the dietitian uh, to look at a patient. So if somebody, for example, in the we're about to finish a um, diabetes clinical trial in Holland, uh, and uh, that's one cycle a month for 12, 12 months, right? So so the, the idea on a diabetic, let's say obese person or overweight with diabetes is to do it once a month. Uh, then at the end of the, the year, after 12 cycles, you, you reassess and, and, and you can ask the question and the doctor could say, the endocrinologist could say, I, I'll put you on once every two months and then maybe once every three months uh, and getting to, let's say, once every four months as a maintenance, ultimate maintenance uh, state uh, so that, that the patient doesn't go back to, to diabetes. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. I think it's fascinating, your research on how this food plan can really impact specific 
disease states. But in general, can you talk to us a little bit about a fasting mimicking's diet impact on on aging and general age-related diseases and longevity? Yes. Yeah, so we started uh, as everything we do. We start with with animal models, and and so we've shown that in in mice, uh, the, if you give if you take them a middle age and you give them the fasting mimicking diet twice a month. Uh, they live longer. They have about half of the tumors. The tumors are delayed. They have lots, a lot less inflammation. Uh, so it has a very powerful both regenerative effects and uh, anti-inflammatory effects. And also it works on, on co- cognition. So it is making the, the mice uh, much sharper, um, especially as they get older. So, um, so that's a mouse data. Then we did the uh, first clinical trial in 2017. And that trial uh, basically showed that uh, um, the um, the risk factors for uh, markers and risk factor for aging and age-related diseases were reduced. So this went from IGF-1, C-reactive protein, uh, cholesterol, blood pressure, uh, triglyceride, uh, uh, fasting glucose, uh, etc. Mostly, uh, some of it was independent of the starting point. But most of these decreases happen in those that had the problem to begin with, right? So if somebody had the low, uh, low fasting glucose and low cholesterol, we did not see a, a further drop. And, and this is a very positive, right? So, so some people looked at it as, as a negative. They said, well, why, why didn't you um, reduce glucose in everyone? And our point was you don't need to reduce glucose in everyone. Uh, and this is actually what happens with calorie restriction, right? And, and this could be the, some of the problem of chronic calorie restriction, that you do reduce everything. So in the human studies, if somebody starts with fasting glucose of 80, which is a very healthy one, uh, the calorie restriction might drive it down to 60, uh, which may not be so healthy, right? So, so um, yeah, so then we did not see this in, in this, uh, this after-cycles of the fasting mimicking diet. And, and these were done in a population was uh, 20 to 70, uh, and there were three, cy- three five-day cycles, once a month for three months. And we looked at the beginning, at the end of the three cycles. And then we look at three months after the end of the three cycles. And interestingly, e- even three months after the end of the, the, the diet, uh, uh, we had about 60% of the significant effects still there. So which tells you, you know, this from that, they say two, three times a year for people that are healthy. Um, that tells you that it lasts a while, but it doesn't last forever. So eventually the, the body and the, maybe the whatever habits people have, um, you know, within six months, they'll, you, you'll be back to where you came from. Yeah. It really sounds like doing intermittent um, times where you're utilizing a fasting mimicking diet helps a human organism remain resilient and maintain their homeostasis. That's what it sounds like to me when I hear you speaking about um, the modulation of, you know, blood sugar and blood pressure and things utilizing an FMD. Yeah, so I mean, we rely a lot on, on cells and mice to for mechanisms, right? So when you look at the mice, so we've done models for type two diabetes, type one diabetes, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And what's in very what's common among all of the things that we've done, including the the work that we did on the brain, is the uh, reduction of inflammation. So it seems like the diet and the fasting is able to uh, the recognize damage, take it down. So I so said, if there's inflammation, it takes it down. If there are damaged cells, including cancer cells, it, it, it preferentially targets the autoimmune cells, the cancer cells. Then it, it stimulates in many different organs of the mouse, it stimulates stem cells 
um, and they and they uh, but there's the stem cells are standing by until you refeed, and then the refeeding moment is when uh, the stem cells then go to work and they um, uh, contribute to rebuilding uh, at least parts of, of the systems that that has been um, that has been shrunk in, in essence during the, the fasting mimicking diet. Right? So it's really this this uh, very remarkable uh, shrinking re-expansion uh, mode that um, that uh, after the re-expansion ends up uh, in a um, in a much more functional system. At least in the mice, it's very clear. Right? So we can let's say take a mouse damage the, the pancreas to where it makes no insulin anymore permanently. So it's permanently type 1 diabetes and it's insulin resistant. And then both the insulin resistance and the, and the pancreatic deficiency are reversed by the, by the fasting-making diet. So it's, it's going in completely different uh, uh, directions. One to reverse insulin resistance and then target the pancreas, turn on embryonic development-like programs and then during the re-expansion, you see the beta cells, either it's reprogrammed or regenerated, we don't know yet, but certainly now they, they can generate new insulin producing beta cells. Uh, and then these cells, once they're re-established, they're, they're long living, so they're, you don't need to keep doing it. So they're essentially reverse, we, in mice we show that you can reverse this damage of the pancreas and, and have a, now a functional pancreas that uh, is no longer type one uh, diabetes-like. So I've heard you speak about the difference between biological age and chronological age, and now you're mentioning organ function. Is that one of the ways that we're measuring biological age? The biological age, instead, um, you know, we've been working with Morgan Levine, and 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 also we're working with uh, Steve Orvat now at UCLA. So Morgan is at Yale, and uh, and Morgan has been working on on a blood biological clock, right? So so she looks about seven to ten markers in the blood. And she looks the enhanced CDC database, and she basically, based on real data, says if you look at a certain pattern of these seven to ten markers, they put you in a certain biological age and risk of dying in the following so many years, right? So, so that's what we've been using, and pretty soon we're going to publish on the effect of the fasting mimicking diet on biological age. Uh, so, what happens if you do three or four cycles of the fasting mimicking diet? Uh, can you make a person younger, right? So. Um, and that's an interesting uh, possibility. And uh, the other one is Steve Orbert, and, and he's look, looking at that at, uh, epigenetic clock. So he's looking at how the DNA is modified. And, um, and that's a, also a very powerful one uh, that generates a, a more of a molecular clock that is correlated with the, the, the chance of dying and the, also the chance of potentially of, of developing diseases. So we're working with Steve now on that. We haven't, uh, we're still, you know, at the, at the, setup stage. Great. So as we're thinking about biological age, we know that in regards to fasting and aging, like you talked about, many of your fundamental mechanisms have been studied in simple organisms and then in mice, and then we translate this to humans. From your experience, can you give us some details on fasting and our diet quality in regards to immunosenescence? Yeah. So again, um, we, I have to go back to mice and then I'll tell you about humans. Uh, so in mice, it's very clear that if we take the mice and we uh, give them the fasting making diet, uh, we um, during the, the, the fasting uh, period, the hematopoietic stem cells start turning on. And, uh, and then um, 
the uh, during the refilling period, and as we go back and forth, uh, you see a, um, a somewhat of a rejuvenation of the immune system, especially if you take uh, relatively older mice, and then you, you keep doing this for, for four months or so. So uh, after eight cycles of the fasting making diet, you see this rejuvenating effect. And, um, uh, and you also see uh, improved responses to the, to the vaccine, to the flu vaccine that we give the mice. Uh, so uh, now we, um, we're starting to see some evidence of that. For example, in humans, we see a decline, um, but not a severe decline, but about a 20% or so decline of the white blood cells during the fasting mimicking diet. And then you see them going back to normal, right? So knowing what we know about the mice and the stem cell-based regeneration, we suspect that something similar is happening. We don't know because in humans, of course, it's much, much more difficult to know what's happening. You know that the white blood cells go down and they come back up. Now in multiple trials, we show that, um, but um, doesn't involve the hematopoietic stem cells. Is there like a replenishment of the good cells? Is there a destruction as we've seen for the mice in, in dysfunctional uh, T cells, et cetera, and a rebuilding of functional ones? Uh, we don't know yet, but... Uh, um, that's certainly uh, a possibility. And, uh, and so now we have, we have several clinical trials that are uh, addressing that. Well, there's never been a better time to understand how we can start rejuvenating the immune system as we're supporting our aging population. Uh, just to kind of continue on that line of thinking specific to the fasting mimicking diet, what are some mechanisms or potential pathways involved with the diet's effectiveness? You've mentioned stem cells, um, I would also love to hear a little bit about the impact on mitochondrial health. I see mostly fertility patients. And so I'm talking about mitochondrial health all of the time. And I'd love to know a little bit about how the FMD might support our mitochondria. Yes. So um, we're working on that. And, uh, um, and so for sure, it, it imposes a, a temporary ketone body and fatty acid dependent metabolism, which is going to push the mitochondria probably to uh, to be more active or certainly to um, to be in a different mode, right? So um, how that uh, then eventually um, alters mitochondrial number and quality, uh, we don't know yet. But uh, uh, because we see the mice living longer and we see the people being much healthier. Uh, after the cycles of the fasting making diet, uh, uh, I would suspect that the mitochondria are going to be uh, part of it. And uh, uh, of course, the, 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 the very interesting part is this, um, you know, this possibility that we be, I keep talking about of, of a, a, a system that is billions of years old and is there for the purpose of getting rid of anything that is damaged, regardless whether it's mitochondria other organelles within the cell or the cells itself, right? So, so you know, if you imagine that, you know, I always talk about sleep, for example. So what's the purpose of sleep or why do we sleep, right? So obviously um, it's not there by mistake. Uh, now we don't fully understand, but but there's, but there's definitely a purpose, right? So, so then what's the purpose of fasting? Is it possible because it was so frequently done by humans and almost unavoidable the fasting represented a moment where you do go through everything, including the mitochondria, and you and you pick the good and you get rid of the bad, right? So um, now, 
It sounds like science fiction, but is it, right? Because if you think about apoptosis, we all recognize that the body has a system in it to recognize bad cells and get rid of them, right? So if it can get recognized bad cells, are we to believe that after billions of years, it just figured out how to recognize a few bad cells, but it's just completely you know, unable to deal with bad mitochondria or, or you know, uh, any component of the cell that there might be dysfunction. So yeah, that's what we're looking at. It's, it's a multi-cellular and, and, and cell system and intracellular systems that um, may be in need of a checkpoint uh, and in need of uh, a, a filter. And, and maybe the fasting and fasting making diets represent a filtering moment um, where uh, where these, uh, these these programs are activated to to pick the good and, and get rid of the bad. Well, I love that you brought up sleep because that's the perfect lead in to my next question. Our annual conference in 2020 really focused on circadian medicine, and it got us thinking about. Um, how does circadian rhythm or a patient's chronotype potentially play into the effectiveness or um, the benefit of a fasting mimicking diet? Is there any connection between our eating pattern and our circadian balance in this way? Um, well, I mean, the, uh, of course, the, the, the circadian clock is very much uh, interconnected with the feeding pattern. Um, and so, um, and so there's a there's a connection. Probably there's going to be genes that that work in the circadian clock uh, that that also uh, are are you know in, in in play in play a major role in the fasting dependent effects, right? We we haven't looked at it. I know that Sachin Panda is is looking a lot at that, uh, and now it relates to intermittent fasting. Um, so, but yeah, I I, I would say that uh, the circadian uh, genes are uh, are probably are going to be part of the fasting mimicking program, but uh, uh, to what extent and how important are they? And uh, I think um, in the case of what we're talking about, we, we're pushing the system to a different, very different level than, than, than what you may get in, say, 12, 14 hours of, of fasting. So, it, you know, it takes a couple of days for, for the human body to reprogram into a fasting mode right to to start producing high levels of ketone bodies uh, for the brain to start functioning partially on, on beta hydroxybutyrate etc so i think there's also some things that are very very distinct right so the, the, this opportunity for example um if you take an extreme like they say that that a person can can survive about two months without food and um um, you know, what, what will happen if somebody had a, a major uh, damage somewhere in the body and you, and you kept that person for, for, let's say, a month and a half without food? Right? I mean, I'm not uh, proposing that we do that, but I'm saying theoretically, right? So, so is it possible that, that the organ shrinks so much uh, that then you have an opportunity to regenerate the entire organ, right? So, so this is, I'm just trying to distinguish it from the circadian clock. So we're talking about things that are com very, very different, right? So each have a value, but um, the, yeah, so the, this is what we're looking at. Is it, is it possible to, um, you know, go back to embryonic development, right? Or, or an embryonic development-like modality that is able to regenerate part of your pancreas, part of your liver, your lungs, you know, 
or even all of it eventually. I mean, we're still in the early phases, but could it be that we find ways to completely change your your uh, your lungs, right? Um, uh, yeah, so we've been 20 years, right? So, but 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 yeah, that's a, that's a, the the possibility um, of this uh, or, or where we are. That's what we're beginning to look at. You know, multi-system regeneration. Hearing you talk is reminding me. The other day, I looked up um, working on a project. The definition of the word restoration, and it was basically bringing something back into the state in which it belongs. And that's what it sounds like we're doing to me. This is really a restorative process, a really intentional restoration of the human organism. Yeah, it could be restorative. It could also be rejuvenating in the sense that you could say, you know, you could take a car, right? and you restore it. And now when you restore it, it's still an old car. It just looks good and it, it runs great. Uh, but you can say, okay, now I change every piece of it. It's a brand new car. So yeah, that's a different type of restoration. Now now you just have a brand new young car and, uh, and that young car can now go for 200,000 miles versus something that you restore, but it's still got an old engine, it's still got some, some, some uh, wear and tear or lots of wear and tear. And even though it's restored, it's gonna eventually break down again, right? So it's very, very different, right? So, so but yeah, understanding that we're still in the early, early phases of, of being able to, uh, uh, we're probably now reaching the restoration phase, right? So now we, we have to, to, to look at is it possible that you can now make it um, make a brand new car? Right. So yeah, that that that's a hard part. Yeah. Well, that sounds even better to make a whole new car. I think that's that's even more desirable. Um, thinking about just how we use a fasting mimicking diet and or how clinicians talk about the benefits of an FMD with patients. Can you give us a, a soundbite, if you will, about how we should talk about or answer the question, how does the fasting mimicking diet fool the body chemically into thinking it's fasting? How can we talk to patients about that um, in a way that makes sense for the public? Well, first, first of all, I think it fools in a very respectful way, right? So when I designed the fasting mimicking diet, I didn't design to biohack, right? I designed, yes, to take advantage of technology, but also be respectful of what is what happens during fasting, right? What's generated in the body, right? So, so for example, glycerol is something that is generated in the body. And sure enough, glycerol is part of the fasting making diet. You know, certain fats are generated during the fasting by the body. Those fats are in the fasting making diet. So it was very respectful of, of what fasting has always been and what fasting generates in the bloodstream. And so, and then it was also, it was worried about, you know, let's say, is your blood pressure going to drop too much? Is your glucose going to drop too much? Uh, or is the, the glucose or the blood pressure 1% of the patient going to drop too much? So the, to us, that's not, uh, that's not acceptable. Uh, yeah, so then, then that, that, that's what the fasting mimicking diet is trying to do. It's trying to be as respectful, as, it's trying to biohack, but in a very respectful manner, uh, also respectful if you look at it. And there was a very, very good idea that I had, which was let me combine the longevity diet and the fasting mimicking diet. What does it mean? I went around the world, whether it was Okinawa or Southern Italy or Loma Linda, 
to look at the foods that were common denominator between all the people that live a long, long life, or all the zones that had record longevity. And so then they, when, as, as I was um, coming up with the ingredients for the fasting-making diet, I also wanted to match that. Right? I wanted to match that, you know, the, the science, uh, the, the tradition, but also the longevity ingredients, right? So then you have a, a, essentially a vegan diet that has got all ingredients that uh, are, are associated with long life or extended life. And that was a very good idea. If you look at our paper from a couple of years ago with, with inflammatory bowel disease, uh, mostly mice, um, it looks like the content of the diet was more, I mean, because of the content that I just described, the, the FMD was more beneficial than water-only fasting, which can only do certain things to, to reduce inflammation, but it was not as effective in causing colon and, 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 um, and uh, uh, in, intestinal regeneration. Um, uh, so the, the prebiotics, so the, the uh, ing plant-based ingredients that were in the diet together with the fasting properties, I think uh, generated a much more uh, uh, potent effect. That's a great lead into something I've been thinking about. We, we've seen this rise, I would say, in the um, maybe alternative medicine community of the carnivore diet. And I was just so interested as I was listening to your um, longevity diet and it's, you know, healthy fats and legumes and fish a few times per week. It seems somewhat at odds with a, a strictly carnivore diet. And I just would love to get your thoughts on if there's a, a place for a, a a more carnivorous plan um, with any conditions or if, you know, if we should steer clear for the most part? I mean, I, I think, you know, we're going in, in the opposite direction uh, for obvious reason, you know, CO2 production, the animals and lots of, uh, lots of reasons that we're, I think it's going to be more and more difficult to, uh, to consume as much meat as, as we're doing now. And then the science is also pointing in, in, uh, in the opposite, in the direction of now vegan, right? Keep in mind, vegan, vegans have lots of problems, right? So a new paper should come out and looking at fractures, you know, two and a half times more fractures in the vegans. But the pescatarians, on which my longevity diet is based, did not have that, right? So, um, so I think that um, the, the, the certain type of vegetarians and certain type of pescatarians uh, seem to be doing by far the best. Um, and... Um, and now um, let's also keep in mind not what the diet is, but what the diet will be by the time the, the, the public consumes it, right? So if you say, um, if you say carnivore diet, it, it, is it possible that there is a specific, you know, grass-fed, uh, you know, a perfect carnivore diet that is going to make people live long? Absolutely. Is it likely that, a significant portion of the people out there are going to consume it very unlikely, right? People have a hard time doing very basic things. I always say people have a hard time. They drink four coffees a day, go to three coffees, right? And um, so, yeah, so then I think we need to have, uh, uh, we need to have recommendations that are much, much more so solid that, you know, if you say to somebody, eat a vegan diet plus fish twice a week, I mean, it's a pretty simple recommendation it's inexpensive, um, and uh, you know most people can do it. Uh, and, and you know, if, if you start saying um, you, you have a, you have a carnivore diet, 
Well, then it go, you got to start with a lot of explanation and a lot of rules and regulations. Uh, and by the way, you don't know if it's true, right? Because the, the pescatarian diet is, you know, lots of data now. And, um, and uh, including the, the data from centenarians. And I, I've never met, I, I've never seen a long-lived population around the world that has a carnivore diet. Right? So it's already a bad start. So in, in my book, I talk about five pillars of longevity. And you know, one of it is epidemiological data. Epidemiological data does not support a, uh, a carnivore diet. Um, then if you look at the centenarians, they don't eat a carnivore diet. You know, neither the Okinawans, nor the people in Loma Linda, nor, nor people in Southern Italy, um, if you look at uh, clinical studies, and most clinical studies uh, will have something negative to say. I mean, again, of course, then somebody can argue, oh, if you ate this and that and that. Yes, possible. But we don't know. You know, once we collect 30 or 40 years of, uh, of data uh, equivalent to what we have from this pescatarian diet and, you know, including, let's say, the Mediterranean diet, which is like an in-between, right? So, um, yeah, so then uh, only then can you say, okay, let's forget about the Mediterranean diet and the Okinawa diet and the longevity diet, and let's uh, adopt something that is much more risky because, you know, meat is so much associated. I mean, we published a paper uh, five years ago looking at people that had animal-based uh, high-protein diet, which would be almost everybody on a carnivore diet, had three to uh, fourfold increase in risk of cancer in the 65 and older uh, population, right? 65 and younger population. So yeah, fourfold increased risk. I mean, this is a very big number. And people at the beginning thought it was a mistake, but it was not a mistake. Uh, so this comes from the CDC uh, database, right? So, so yeah, so then the, all these things have to be uh, kept in mind. And, um, and, and I'm not talking about ideology at all. I would say if the carnivore diet had evidence and, um, you know, and then it was just a matter of saying, oh, but the environment and all of that, I think I would have to qualify that. But I'm just talking about strict, pure science. Uh, so the carnivore people need, need about 30 years of work before they can be convinced, as convincing, provided that everything works out as good as with uh, with the pescatarian diet, etc., um, and then and then and then they also have to show compliance. Right? Is it possible that this particular diet could be something that most people could do? We already know that the pescatarian diet is something that people could do because we have people, you know, in many places of the world that have done it and and they made it to 100, right? Uh, doing that. So so then it, I'm saying it's a very tall uh, tall wall to to overcome uh, by the carnivore people. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for that explanation. That was super helpful and interesting for me to hear. And I, I love that you returned to this compliance piece because something I want to ask you about is, um, are, are there components of the fasting mimicking diet that can be personalized for individual patients based on their preferences or unique needs? What parts can we tweak as clinicians? Um, I, I would, you know, um, I think that what we're trying to do is we're trying to involve the FDA now and uh, and and try to transform, especially for physicians, the fasting mimicking diet into true medicine uh, that are FDA approved. Uh, so I would say change very little unless uh, or nothing unless the patient needs to. So for example, some patients uh, uh, they can is no way that they can go without coffee. So in that case, we say before you quit, uh, you can have a coffee, one coffee a day. Um, and, um, and, you know, some, somebody may be allergic to, to olives. 
uh, or they, they, they cannot eat them, right? So then you can keep them out. So the physician can, can do some adjustments uh, based on, uh, on what the patient uh, absolutely cannot do uh, because, you know, this is, of course, uh, five days of, of nutrition. So, so it's not like taking a pill that most people uh, can do, you know. Perfect. Well, we'll stick with the, we'll stick with the program for now. Um, as we're coming to the end of our episode, I want to touch on research a little bit. You've shared so many takeaways from your research over the years, and we know that you've really looked at the, uh, the beneficial impact on cancer, depression, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome. Are you able to share a preview of any ongoing research projects that you have or um, hypotheses that are on the horizon? Yes. So, so for sure, I would say cancer, you know, the 2020 has been um, a very good year for the clinical uh, cancer trials, including the the 125 patient uh, trial in, in, in Leiden, in, in Holland, uh, showing very positive results for breast cancer, uh, chemotherapy, uh, including the fasting making diet. And then I would say we're getting very, very confident about the, car- the cardiometabolic or certainly the metabolic effects of the fasting making diet. Now we are on trial number three, um, and, and there are several more. Um, and so we're starting to see over and over and over almost identical results, right? So, so then we're starting to say, you know, this has got um, potential for, uh, for FDA approval. And, uh, and I really believe, uh, I'm very confident that, uh, you know, when, if you're looking at diabetes, pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome, um, and, um, and also prevention of cardiovascular disease, um, this is the way to go. I mean, this should be in the toolkit of every physician understanding that yes we need the FDA um, to uh, to approve it <clears throat> and um, but but we're set uh, in, in in now doing that and uh, and approaching the FDA now um, there's also issues because the FDA basically says oh if it's if it's nutrition um, you know it, it might not necessarily be something that you need to uh, approve have approved by the FDA but I, I mean uh, the argument is that you know this is a true medicine it comes in a box and is uh, um, and is uh, should be given independently of what somebody eats. So somebody could have, in fact, I, I say, you know, the, the worse the diet that somebody has, the more they need this once every month or two or three months. So that's going to be the argument. We'll see uh, what the FDA will have to say about that. But uh, but either way, I think the leader allow it as a as a food or as a medical food or or, or as a FDA drug. Wonderful. Well, as I've implemented a fasting mimicking diet with my own patients, I really deeply appreciate how easy it is to actually implement and how straightforward the process can be. So I wanted to thank you so much for your time today and sharing these insights about the fasting mimicking diet. It's been just a pleasure to talk to you and we're very excited to see you later this year at our annual international conference. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. To join the conversation on this topic, visit IFM's pages on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about functional medicine, visit ifm.org.